Well, good morning. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. As uh, If you're visiting or newer with us this morning, our senior pastor, as was already mentioned, his father passed away suddenly. And again, the memorial service will be coming, or is this coming Saturday at 2 p.m. And again, details at the information desk. But I did want to... Uh, Pastor Ryan and Mary sent me a quick note and just said, hey, please tell the body we miss being here with you all. Thank you for praying. They know that you have been praying diligently for them, and they thank you tremendously, and they are looking forward to being together next week um, here at, at the church. So um, continue to pray for them. This morning, we're really blessed to have a friend of mine, uh, a friend of Pastor Ryan's, uh, a good brother, a good Bible teacher, uh, Pastor Clint Chapel, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, Woodburn, if you'll welcome him. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here. I, uh, you know, I sit down in these chairs and I hear you guys singing and with the worship team and uh, just see the people serving. And there's just something very sweet about this church. Uh, there really is. You know, there's a very sweet spirit to it. Um, it's just a blessing to be part of this and to uh, just to be able to serve with you here today. I count it. I really look forward to sharing with you what the Lord has laid on my heart. So why don't we begin? I'm going to pray one more time and then we'll be getting into the word here today. Okay. Father God, I do thank you, Lord, for the massive blessing that this is. Uh, you know, it's my heart's desire to be able to teach, but even a greater desire, Lord, is that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each and every heart that's in here today. Father, let no one come into this place who is thirsty, leave thirsty. Let them feel full of your love and your grace, and uh, that they would sense your presence, Lord, and let your word edify their souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me this morning? We'll uh, read the passage that we're going to be in, which is going to be 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to be in verse 15. 2 Samuel 21, verse Second Samuel 21, verse 15, I'll begin. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbibanab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him, then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Shabakai the Hushathite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again there was a war at Gob with the Philistines, where Elohan, the son of Jeroorgam, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again there was a war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in number, and he was also born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. There were four born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by 
the hand of his servants. You may be seated. J. Oswald Sanders, in his book, Spiritual Leadership, had this to say about leadership. He says, leadership is influence, the ability of one person to influence others to follow his or her lead. He goes on to quote a Chinese leader who, when asked the question, what makes a leader, responded, there are only three kinds of people, those who are immovable, those who are movable, and those who move them. Simply put, leaders move others. Today we're going to look into, one of the, into the lives of one of the greatest leaders that has ever lived, and that would be King David. Especially when we consider the amount of influence that he had over others. He truly was a leader of the highest order. I felt as I was trying to discern, you know, what is it, Lord, you want me to share with the fellowship here today? I've taught this years ago, and I, I just really felt like this was something that is appropriate for this day and age. Because we live in a generation where there's so many who seek to be influencers, but they don't want to be leaders. They, they want the benefit of influence other people to where they can either make some money themselves or they can gain some notoriety or fame, but they don't want the responsibility of leadership. Matter of fact, how many times have you heard an athlete that would say something like, I, I'm no role model, and yet they want to influence the people that are their fans? See, David wasn't anything like that. He was the type of man, when you look back on his life, that he took leadership seriously. And though imperfect, we all know those stories. He understood the consequences of leadership. And it's something, again, that I'm very concerned about in this day and age. Because there are very, very few people who want to lead. They just want to influence. And that's a dangerous situation. If I asked you to tell me what King David's greatest accomplishment was, regardless of how much you came in here knowing about the Bible, most people will say, well, he slayed Goliath. When everyone else was, you know, cowering in fear and when they were standing around and not doing anything, he stepped up as a young man and he slung his, you know, rock at him and he killed him and that was the most amazing thing that he did. And sure, that event was monumental, no doubt. But I don't think that was his greatest accomplishment in life. See, I happen to believe that his greatest accomplishment was his lasting influence over other people's lives. Lasting. Something that outlasted him. You know, Pastor Kevin mentioned Pastor Al, and you know, he was a friend of mine as well. And when I found out that he had passed away, I, I just, man, my heart was broken for him and his family. Um, I felt honored, though, to know him. And the thing that went in my mind immediately was I wanted to hear his last message. I wanted to hear what, what the Lord had put on his heart because Pastor Al did not know that was going to be his day. What was the message that God gave him that day? And I'll tell you, man, if you didn't have the opportunity to listen to it, you should. As a pastor and as somebody who teaches the word of God, it made me think, what would be my legacy 
if the Lord were to take me? What kind of lasting influence would I have on those when I'm no longer physically present with them? Is there something that will outlast me? I was truly blessed to know him, and I can say there's a great legacy for Pastor Al and his family. It's true that David was a giant killer. But today we're going to see that David was more importantly a leader that produced other giant killers. That's why I've chosen this kind of obscure passage. You're probably thinking, why did he pick that passage with all those really hard names? I thought so myself as I practiced them. But in my life, I have been blessed to be in a few positions of leadership throughout the years. As a husband, as a dad, in business situations, in ministry. In all of these situations, I've seen that successful leadership truly does depend on influence. It really does. For example, as a husband and a dad, you know, I've seen that my attitude and my outlook on life greatly affects my wife and my children. If, if I am feeling sorry for myself or I'm overly pessimistic or I'm always complaining about something, it's very likely that those same characteristics will develop in the people that I lead in the home. Isn't it funny how many times, you know, you, you either have been the person or you've heard of a person that grew up and they, they had such hard feelings towards maybe their dad or their mom Growing up in the house, and they're like, I hated that he did this. I hated that she did this. And then years later, you see those same characteristics developing in their lives. Those same behaviors, those same types of things. And it made me think of how important it is it that we are displaying good leadership within our own homes. Because those things, those qualities will manifest in the lives of those that we serve in, in the home over time. I thought about in business, you know, I've learned that if you're unable to influence those that you lead, your business will struggle. Those who struggle the most in business are those who are in a position of leadership, but they have very little influence over the people they're supposed to be leading. They may have the position of leader. They may be the boss. They may be the manager. But if they are not a leader, they struggle. Because remember, leadership is determined by those who follow. Follow the right example. In ministry, I've also seen that having a fruitful ministry is not necessarily determined by the same standards by which the world would measure. You know, growth in numbers is encouraging. But it's not the determiner of effectiveness. Because you can have a huge crowd that seems a mile wide, but in reality, they're only an inch deep. You have to be able to, if you're in a position like this ministry where you have a very healthy church and it's growing and all those things are happening, you have to remember, keep focus on the task, which is raise them up in the Lord, introduce them to the Lord, bring them into a saving relationship with the Lord, but then they must grow. They must grow. They cannot remain stagnant. They have to continue to grow in their relationship. The greatest Christian leaders influence others to be more Christ-like. And that is a continual process, is it not? If you've been walking with the Lord for any time, you know that, that, is the, that you never arrive. 
You never reach that point where you're like, oh, I'm close enough to Jesus at this point. I can chill. You just, you can't do that. (laughs) No, because then you're going backwards. It's this constant thing. No matter what arena you are positioned in life to be a leader, your effectiveness will be determined by your influence over the people that you lead. Another truth that has to at least be acknowledged is that a person who is a good leader is not always a good leader. Hope that's up there because I really want to emphasize that. A person who is a good leader is not always going to be a good leader. Case in point, I remember watching a program on some cult leaders that had led many people astray. I sat there and I was appalled by the fact that they had, they had so many people who followed them. But I was really astonished by the fact that they were willing to follow them. Looking at it from the outside, it was so obvious to me. It's like, how can you follow this guy? How could you be so easily deceived? It seems so clear from the outside. How can they follow such blatant lies? But it's a good example of that statement right there. The fact that a person who is a good leader is not always going to be good. I guess we shouldn't be too surprised by this because when you think about it, Satan himself is a very good leader. He influenced a third of all the angels to follow him in rebellion against God. In fact, those very same angels that followed him had stood in the presence of God. Can you imagine? What kind of leader would it take to convince them to rebel against God? Think of his leadership skills. But does that make him a good leader? No. Leader for sure, but not good. Massive influence. So leadership can be used for good and bad. If you are capable of leading others and have that kind of effect on them. As for David, he generally used his leadership abilities to inspire others to greatness, despite some of his own gigantic failures. So what are some principles of leadership that we can take from this passage? Well, let's look first at verse 15. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. The first thing that I see there is David and his servants with him. The type of leaders that I admired the most do the same thing. When I think of leadership and I think of any, whatever it is, it's the leaders who are in a position where they could say, you serve me, but they actually serve with the people that they're leading. You know, David was a man that the people knew that he was going to fight side by side with them if he ever asked them to go into battle for him. He was that type of man. He was that type of leader. Great leaders know that this is essential if ever people are going to be influenced towards greatness by you. 
They know that. There must be an element of confidence that you will do the very thing that you're asking us to do. You're not just telling us to do it, but you're willing to do it with us. Men and women alike admire a leader, although who, they may be a king, they're willing to humble themselves to do what he expects everyone else to do. Servant leadership. There's no greater leadership than servant leadership. And as Christians, our single greatest example of this is not King David, although he was amazing at this. Our single greatest example of this is found in none other than Jesus Christ alone. When we look at leadership that influenced others, Jesus is the pinnacle of that example. A specific occurrence of this was found when Jesus washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. I'll read it to you. It's in John 13, verses 12 through 15. It says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then, if I then, your, teach, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Think of the timing of that. It was right before he was going to be betrayed and crucified. And the one thing that he wanted to teach the men that were going to go on and represent him as his disciples and future apostles and all those things, he says, I want you to do what I'm doing to you right now. Lead by example. The disciples never forgot this. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, if you know the story, you know that Peter was like, oh, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And then after Jesus corrected him, he's like, wash my whole body, wash me down, Lord. Once he understood. When you think about how that impacted him in the long run, Peter wrote this long after Jesus was gone. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, Shepherd the flock, the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He's teaching this to young leaders within church, and he's saying, don't do it lording over them, be examples to them. Show them how to live this way. Show them how to live by you doing it. This brings us to the next leadership principle that I see here in verses 15 through 17, and I'll read again in verse 15. It says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbibanab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us into battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. If you become this type of leader, you will see this type of commitment from your people that you lead. See, 
they will want to ease the burden of, your, of the leadership upon you and they will do their very best to preserve you. I know that I feel that way about people that I admire in leadership. If I see that they are a great leader, sacrificial in nature, servant-hearted, humble, kind, courageous, all those things that I admire about them, I am drawn to do everything I can do to bless them. If I see that they're struggling, if I see that they're worn out, I want to be the first one to say, take a break, go sit down, relax. I want to help you. You pour yourself out constantly. I think of my wife, you know, we're trying to instill this in our kids. You know, and, and you, my wife is just constantly serving in the house and she's doing all these things that never gets credit for. I come home and tell all my war stories about work and everything else, but, you know, she starts talking about hers. I'm like, ah, okay, all right, let's talk back about this stuff, right? And we talk about the kids and we talk about, you know, we wish they would step up and help more and I'm blessed with my kids that they do serve and they do these things. But man... The pinnacle of, of that and, and maybe the greatest reward for my wife would be when they say, Mom, go sit down. We'll do the dishes, right? All the women are like, Amen, preach it, finally. <laughs> Kids, listen up. When you love and admire leadership, you want to bless them. You want to bless them. You want to help them. You want to ease the burden. A great leader knows how to let other people step up to become great leaders themselves. Somebody who's truly gifted as a leader knows that sometimes you have to step back to let others become great leaders. In this story here, we see that doing everything himself almost got David killed. And it's the same with us, too. If we do everything ourselves all the time, it's not good for you. It's not healthy. It's not something that you can sustain. You need help. You need people to stand alongside you and to lift up your arms when you're weary. You need those people in your lives. I also happen to believe that sometimes God doesn't want the leader... God doesn't always want the leader to be on the battlefield. I know that that's a contradiction of what I said earlier, that we love the leader that will go to war with the people, right? We want that, and there's a time and a place for that. But there are some times when the Lord doesn't want you on the battlefield. There's some times when the Lord wants you to entrust others with that responsibility so that they can grow, so that they can mature, and they may not do it exactly like you. They may put their own spin on this, but that's something that a leader understands that they have to figure this out as well. Give them room to learn. Give them room to make some mistakes. Don't micromanage everything because remember, doing everything himself almost got David killed. And sometimes we can make that mistake in our own lives as well. There is certainly a time and a place for each style of leadership. A wise leader knows when, and where to do that. Let's move on to some other giant killers that David inspired, though. In verse 18, it says, Now it happened afterwards that there was, a, there was a, again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. 
Then Sebekai the Hushathite killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. Again, there was, another, there was a war at Gob with Philistines where Alhanan, the son of Jairagon, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Now, not much is known about this first gentleman, Sebekai, except that he also became a great leader that served David as one of his captains. And eventually, he led over 24,000 men for David's army. 24,000 men were under his own leadership. But don't miss the important thing. What did he do here? He killed the giant. Not much is known about Elhanan either, except for what's provided here. But one thing we know that he did, he killed Goliath's brother, another giant. Verse 20, it says, Yet again there was a war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. This I find really interesting when you think about this, besides the six fingers and six toes thing, which is fascinating in itself. This Jonathan that's mentioned here is not, it's not the Jonathan that was David's best friend. And that's a whole different study. As a matter of fact, that was one that I, I was close to teaching on because I love Jonathan. I love the example of just, again, his humility and just his faithfulness and his courage and all those things. Talk about a leader. Man, Jonathan was incredible, the son of Saul. Incredible as a leader. But this is not that Jonathan. You know who this is? David had a brother named Shemaiah. You know where Shemaiah is mentioned before this? When David slayed Goliath, Shemaiah was one of the three brothers who were standing there cowering in fear over Goliath. He was one of the three brothers who didn't do anything. And then this little scrappy little brother shows up and takes him down with a sling and a rod. He witnessed that. He also witnessed this relationship with Jonathan and David, and you know what he named his son? Jonathan. Now, David's nephew kills his own giant. Talk about the far-reaching implications of leadership, huh? Pay special attention, though, to the next verse. In verse 22, it says, These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Why is this important? Who got credit for killing all these giants? David. Did, did David physically kill any of those giants? No. No. It was the other people that he inspired. And they said it's because of David. So what does this mean? 
All four of these men who served along David and witnessed his example grew up to be fearless giant killers themselves. The influence of David inspired them to accomplish great things in their lives as well. Remember, in Saul's leadership, there was not a man in all of Israel that was willing to take a stand against a giant. It was on the brink of being destroyed as a nation. In fact, under his leadership, it says that they were hiding in caves and under rocks to escape the challenge. But all that changed when David became king. There was no longer a nation full of men that were unwilling to step up and do what needed to be done. David's courage and his boldness in trusting the Lord caused average men who the Bible described as one time being useless. That was his initial army. Useless men from the perspective of Saul. They became transformed into valiant, giant killers. And that's what I want us to understand today. I'm not advocating go out and kill giants. I hope you understand that. But we face some giant problems in this nation right now. Giant problems. And I'm not asking you to pull out your bullhorn and start picketing everybody who disagrees with anything tied to Christianity. What what I'm advocating is, I believe that we live in a generation that has lost the, the understanding of how important it is for you to live your life in such a way that you influence others towards godliness. See, it's great that you're here today, but, but if all it is is just checking a box and going to church, and I went to church today and that's just what we do, but it's not affecting your life and it's not permeating your life in other ways, in your workplace, in your homes, in, in whatever you do, golfing, whatever it is. If it's not being something where people see you living that life beyond these walls, then it's not effective. I had mentioned how much I love this church. We've visited it here several times, both under Pastor Doug, which is a good friend of mine, now under Pastor Ryan. And, and I just, the one thing that, that I love is I still see a sense of health. Such a healthy church. Just with the people coming, it, it truly is. What a blessing to me to see this. And that comes from leadership, not just from the senior pastor, but all these assistant pastors and and other leaders within the church, men and women that are serving and pouring into the people and living by example. So important. Every person who is blessed to lead others, whether it be men or women, The truth is, at some point in your life, you're going to face giants. Circumstances that seem unbeatable. And when you do, the people you lead will be watching you very carefully. Seeing how you handle that. Your actions, whether they be good or bad, will have an impact on others. Because you're in a position of leadership. And you're like, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. 
Remember, leadership is influence. And if you have anybody in your life that you are influencing by your leadership, you are a leader. So how do you become a giant killer? Well, one way is to do just like we learned about today. Follow the examples of other men and women that have fought and conquered giants before you. Get to know some people who have been walking with the Lord for a while. Talk to those saints who have been walking with the Lord. And they have stories to tell and examples to give. And yes, it was a different time. But they fought giants nonetheless. They had circumstances with health issues, financial health issues, marriage issues. They had all these different things going on in their life. Take some time to learn from the giant killers who walked before you. Learn about them. And those of you who were those giant killers, share. Minister, you're like, oh, no, I can't relate to this younger generation. We have a generation right now that is losing this. They desperately need, like I said, they're surrounded by influencers. But they're starving to death for leadership. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be after church service, just sitting down and talking to them. Taking that young lady, the older, you know, older ladies that can minister to them and that can help them to understand, you're going to make it through this time. I see you're going through some difficulties in marriage. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you about the giant God took down for us. Man, same thing. There's a younger generation that needs this desperately right now. Some giant killers that you may want to emulate uh, might come in many different forms. You think about godly family members. Do you, are you blessed to have some godly family members? It may be your dad, it may be your mom, it may be your brother or sister, it may be a grandparent, it may be a great-grandparent, uncle, aunt, whatever it is. Do you have some godly family members that you can sit down and tell me, you know, tell me some giant stories? Tell me when God really delivered you from something terrible because if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you must have a story. Share it with me. Help them to remember God's faithfulness. Learn from it. What about spiritual mentors and leaders? Are there spiritual mentors or leaders just within your life, men and women who have experienced great victories as God enabled them and who can encourage you to fight your own giants? And when I say encourage, I mean encourage. Pour courage into you in the midst of your circumstance. Because all of us know when we're faced with something that we feel is unbeatable, courage flees. You're fearful. You question things. You're not certain anymore. And sometimes you need somebody to grab you by the face and say, you're going to make it through this. You're going to survive. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Find that mentor. Find that leader that can help you during these times. If you cannot find a person, find a book. <laughs> Get an audio book if you need. Read up on those saints of old that have walked through difficult times and how God used them mightily. 
Another way that's obvious from this passage, it might have to begin with you. See, when David slayed that first giant, there was no other example for him to point to. There was no one else that he could say, well, King Saul did this. He couldn't go and do it. He had to become the first one. And there's some times in life where you're like, man, my dad was not great. He was not a godly man. My, my mom, I didn't even know her. You know, she abandoned us. You know, I don't have any people in my life that are super godly. Sometimes you must be the first one. Sometimes you must be the one to step up to start this. It wasn't so much that David was just overly qualified in life. It was that he was willing to to step out and know that the God of Israel was going to be faithful to him. And sometimes you just have to step out and say, you know what, this just needs to happen and I'm going to do it because the Lord is faithful and I trust him. Remember, in 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Do you remember that? Looking all out on his creation, and he says he looks out through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Did that stop in this generation? Do you think God was like, oh, there's nobody left? No, he's still looking. He's looking for men and women whose hearts are loyal to him. And he will show himself strong. You're like, I'm not strong. That's okay. He didn't ask you to be strong. He asked you to be loyal. He'll take care of the strength. The truth is, if J. Oswald Sanders' definition of leadership is accurate and leadership is truly based on, on influence, then every one of us are in some form of leadership. Whether that be through our kids, spouses, coworkers, whatever, we all will influence others in one way or another. And it's going to come often by the ways that they witness our behavior when we face our own giants. It's going to have a lasting effect on their lives. So what will your style of leadership produce? David's earlier battle with his own giant inspired these men to become giant killers themselves. They saw David's example and wanted that same courage for their own lives. I I wish that I knew what happened afterwards. I want the story afterwards. After they killed these four giants, each one, can you imagine the excitement as they came back to David and said, guess what I did today? I killed a giant. I did just like you, David. Can you imagine the joy that David experienced as they returned to him with those stories? I think of Pastor Al, and he's gone before us. He's with the Lord right now. There's a lot of things that we can look back on, on his legacy, and say he did this, 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 and there's tons of stuff that could be said. There's going to be a day, though, when others will join him, and they're going to say, 
guess what I did, Al, after you were gone? I saw you do these things, and look what I did. See, we want a legacy that outlives us. We don't want a legacy that impacts people's lives long after we're gone. That's true leadership. I have some homework for you, because otherwise I'll have to keep you here another hour. It's funny, when I first taught this, again, this was several, several, several years ago. I had 12 pages of notes. I don't know how many hours I kept these poor people. <laughs> the 12 pages of notes, and there was a lot more passages. I was like, I'm down to six here, so you can, you can thank the Lord for helping me grow in that respect, okay? But I have to assign homework now, too, because there's some other important things that will be beneficial for you. I want you to read about some of the more notable accomplishments of David's warriors. It's found in chapter 23, verses 8 through 23. Just what they went on to do after David. It's amazing. In an age, like I said, where everybody seems to seek the notoriety of becoming an influence over millions of people, whether it be financial gain or internet fame, May we all, may we as Christians who are in any form of leadership aspire to, aspire to train up giant killers. Especially knowing that this life will present many giant hurdles that they will have to battle. Do you see it in this generation? Do you see the battles that they're facing? Do you see the... How, how it's coming at them from all different angles. We're like, yeah, we're feeling this. Well, what's going to happen here in the next 10 years? What kind of battles will they be facing at that time? Are we equipping them? Are we strengthening them? Are we preparing them through our own example? As Christians, we have the responsibility to train up future leaders who will influence others to do great things for God. So maybe we, may we be like David. And I want to have our last chapters of life be filled. Not our victories, their victories. People that we have influenced to be giant killers. And just like David we, in some sense, will be able to count those victories as our own. That's success. That's successful leadership. And God has appointed us to this.